A quote that I listened to in a podcast that really resonated with me was, tradition is a fire that should be taken forward, not a worshiping of the ashes that are left behind. And in my mind, you know, I think we should be grateful for the people that helped get our profession started like Dee Dee and them. I mean, without them, we wouldn't have a profession. But at the same time, I feel like there's a point where you have to embrace what they brought, but know that it no longer fits the mold of what current evidence says and how healthcare is shifting. Welcome back to the Clinical Athlete Podcast. If you're not familiar with Clinical Athlete, we're a network of healthcare providers, students and coaches who specialize in the management of athletes. And we have two missions. The first mission is to connect athletes with professionals who they can trust. And we fulfill that mission through the Clinical Athlete Directory. You can find your nearest Clinical Athlete Provider or Certified Clinical Athlete Barbell Coach at clinicalathlete.com. Our second mission is to create a community and foster the education of those professionals and future professionals in the realm of athlete health and performance. This podcast is one way that we fulfill that mission, and another way is the Clinical Athlete Forum. The Forum is our education, mentorship, and networking community where we discuss and share ideas and resources related to athlete health and performance. To learn more about Clinical Athlete and everything that I just mentioned, head on over to the website, clinicalathlete.com. If you enjoy this podcast, do us a favor and give it a rating on your favorite podcast platform so that we can get this information out to as many people as possible. My name is Quinn Hennick. I'm a doctor of physical therapy in Orange County, California at Clinical Athlete Newport. We've got another student edition coming at you. Chris Hewen, a physical therapy student and clinical athlete forum intern, helps lead an interview with chiropractic student and the clinical athlete forum member, Derek Bark. Derek has a really interesting story as to why he chose chiropractic school over other programs. He also has a very transparent conversation with us about some of the struggles he faces within the program and issues he sees in the chiropractic profession as a whole. It's not an easy conversation to have, but it's important. We hope you enjoy. Derek, thanks for joining the party. Would you mind telling us where you are currently in school and what year are you? Yeah, so thanks for having me. Um, I am currently a second year student at Logan University. Uh, it is a chiropractic college in St. Louis, um, Missouri. Perfect. Yeah, I was re- initially recommended to you by Geronimo, who is the first person uh, on the student series. So there's just like a herd of the DC students now and clinical athlete, all the students, you, Logan, Geronimo, um, the whole crew. So yeah, thanks for coming on, man. Would you mind telling us one, why you initially chose chiropractic and then we can kind of dive into specifics of your background? Yeah, so um, it's actually kind of an interesting story. Um, Initially, when I kind of got into healthcare, uh, primarily sports medicine, when I first started, um, I actually didn't really believe in chiropractic. Um, I really wanted nothing to do with it. Um, And then I started working for a chiropractor um, when I was finishing up my undergrad, and I spent a couple years with him. And it really kind of changed how I felt about the profession. Um, I saw a different side of things and um, it started to kind of help me gravitate towards a different role. Um, Initially, I wanted to actually go to PA school and take that route. Um, So I was setting myself up to do that. Um, I had done an internship um, similar to what I would be doing in that role. And I just found that it wasn't really what I wanted to do. So Um, I ended up pulling the trigger on um, going to Logan University, and the rest is kind of history. And then you had done athletic training as well in undergrad, right? Yes. So I'm also a certified athletic trainer um, as well. What was the, what deterred you away from doing that as a full-time job? So when I got into the program, 
Because initially it was, again, one of those things between physical therapy or the athletic training route. Um, I'd had a couple pretty significant injuries during sports. Um, and a lot of my rehab was actually more with an athletic trainer as opposed to a physical therapist in the office that I worked at. Um, and, you know, I knew that long term I wasn't going to be an athlete or go anywhere with it. So in my mind, the best way to work with the athlete was to be an athletic trainer. Um, when I got into the program, uh, I absolutely loved it. And then when I started kind of better understanding what the profession was like, um, what the profession was kind of going through at the time, um, it really kind of started pushing me away from it. It was a lot of hours, um, not a lot of pay. Um, you kind of live and die by what the team wants. Um, and then at that time, they didn't have a lot of power and control. Um, so a big complaint was that coaches seemed to have more of a say than even the athletic trainer did. And uh, it kind of deterred me away from wanting that route. Um, the schooling was great, um, but I wanted a little bit more control and a little bit more stability. Um, so when I graduated, again, that was kind of where I had that um, initial thought of being more of a PA um, and kind of working in sports and then transition more to the chiropractic role um, where, again, trying to dictate, you know, do I want to work sports medicine or work more with like geriatrics, things like that. So I've kind of had a lot of uh, changes throughout uh, between athletic training and now, of course, chiropractic. And you had mentioned briefly with me some kind of bumpy road prior to going into grad school. Would you be able to talk about some of that? Yeah. So uh, to be completely honest, I was a pretty uh, bad student in high school. Um, I did the bare minimum to pass. And again, it was all about sports. Um, I was a big time hockey player. Um, I played competitively for about 16 years. So to me, that was all I really knew. And um, I had a pretty big opportunity to play for the university that I went to. Um, it was more of a, it was a club team, but um, for anybody who knows anything about club hockey, it was actually pretty competitive and it's very well run. You play a pretty high end hockey. So for me, it was a big opportunity and something that I had always wanted to do. So when I got to Wright State, um, I had initially interviewed to get into the athletic training program, but because of my grades and where I was at, they really didn't feel comfortable. They wanted to see where I was going to take school and if I was capable of getting in. Well, in my mind, uh, it was all about hockey and hanging out with the guys and, you know, school was kind of second. And I did that for about three years. Um, I took essentially all of my core classes and I was almost at the end of taking all of my core classes and I still hadn't gotten into the athletic training program. I was a middle of the road student. Um, I really wasn't doing anything to help myself get into school. I had poor study habits. So um, actually the best thing that happened to me to kind of wake me up was at the end of, it was the, I think it was the beginning of my third year of playing. Um, we were at the end of that first bout of the portion of the season heading into finals for school. And I ended up getting a concussion. Um, couldn't take my finals. Um, I ended up being out for almost 14 weeks. Like I was, it was rough. And at that point, it kind of woke me up and I was like, all right, I really have to make a decision. You know, what's more important to me? Is it is it school in my career or is it continuing to chase, you know, this false idea of me being, you know, a pro hockey player or being a collegiate athlete? So I recovered and I told myself I was going to finish the rest of the season. And then I completely walked away from hockey. Um, 100%. I was done. Um, and I put all of my attention into school. Um, and the big deterrence to get into the athletic training program was we had two anatomy and phys classes that were um, more through our nursing program and the uh, medical school program on campus. So it was a really intense anatomy and phys class. And I put all of my effort and energy into getting A's in both of those classes because I knew that when I went to apply for athletic training again, I could potentially get in with those. So... Um, my GPA was at the bottom. It was right on the edge of me being even capable of applying. Uh, I think at the time 
it was like a two five. So, I mean, I was scraping by, but I did well in my classes. So I got the interview and, um, I sat down with, it was, um, two athletic trainers and one was a doctor and I had been in contact with a lot of the, um, athletic trainers and trying to get, um, involved with them. And the two ATs who, um, interviewed me were on my side. They knew I'd been working hard and that, you know, they thought I was somebody who could uh, really help the program and be a good athletic trainer. But, um, the doctor looked at me and essentially said that I don't have what it takes. Like, I don't belong in this program. You know, I have 4.0 students who can't make it through. Like, you know, why do you belong here? And I mean, he had every right to challenge me because it was true. Like, you know, on the outside looking in, I'm like, I mean, I really don't belong in that aspect, but it also kind of pissed me off. Cause I'm like, I know how hard I've worked to get to this point. So from then on, I mean, I completely had a 180. Um, I spent hours studying. I went to every opportunity for um, clinical hours, anything, everything that I could do to essentially show this program that not only did I belong, but like I was the best student in this, in our cohort. Um, so I had to work really hard at that uh, because I had awful study habits. I didn't even know what studying was. Um, so I put all of my eggs into that basket and became fully absolved. And, um, I mean, I loved every second of it. Um, I learned a ton in school. I had a lot of cool opportunities. Um, but again, it was just one of those things where for me, I didn't feel like athletic training was something that I wanted to do long-term. Um, and the other thing was once I got more confident in my schooling and I was really doing well with it in my mind, I thought, well, I think I can go further than this. Like, I think I can do more with the education that I'm getting. Um, than what athletic training has to offer me. Um, and again, I didn't know a, a ton about the profession other than what I was learning through school and what I'd been told and what I'd seen. So I think at the time it wasn't necessarily a, a fair assessment of what athletic training had to offer and what I could do. But in my mind, that was kind of where I was at. So this is interesting because you've got, and now you've got athletic training, PA, DC, PT, you got all these options you're probably going through in your head. I've actually heard you speak in the past about how you were a little bit turned off from physical therapy. So that kind of fell off a little bit. And so could you talk a, a little bit about that dovetailing into the experience that you had with uh, shadowing the, the chiropractor that turned you on to that profession? What were the qualities that you saw there that kind of steered you on that track? Cause I know you didn't have a lot of time to make your decision to join Logan either. So you're, mm -hmm. you're kind of under the gun. So what, what was the, what were the things that kind of nudged you that way? So, um, the biggest thing when I was looking at, you know, initially the PT route was, um, I kind of had a poor experience when I was rehabbing, um, a significant shoulder injury. And again, it wasn't really, looking back at it, it wasn't a fair reflection of what physical therapy is and can be, but the people that I worked with, it was a lot of, um, modalities and measurements. And I really didn't feel like they were pushing me to do anything. And at the time when I got hurt, it was, you know, I was trying to get ready to play college hockey. So for me, I felt like they weren't doing enough to get me prepared for that. And that I kind of had to do my own uh, work on the side. So I kind of, at that point, physical therapy for me had been a turnoff, but again, I had just, it was just a poor experience and it wasn't really a fair um, assessment of what physical therapy had to offer. But when I started working in the chiropractic office, um, to me, I thought it was just, you know, they were snapping back, snapping necks, and then they were getting paid and people were in and out. Like that was my mindset. And I just didn't understand it. When I started working for this chiropractor, um, he did a lot more, um, exercise based stuff. We got into some of like the explain pain or the P and E stuff. And it was just a whole new realm that I had never seen. Um, I started reading some of the research on explain pain. I got into understanding more about like Lorimer Mosley and those things, um, more about like neurology. And it was really, um, interesting to me. Um, and then I started gravitating more to like DNS and McKenzie and, um, 
going the chiropractic route to me was going to open more doors for the things that I wanted to do in that aspect. Um, and again, I didn't have a lot of exposure to chiropractic other than I'd been to one a couple times. So in my mind, going into school, um, you know, I was going to become a king at DNS and McKenzie. Um, I got involved with a group called MPI, which is Motion Palpation Institute, which was all about um, this newer way of thinking in regards to how we uh, palpate and adjust. Um, one of the students at Logan um, was actually, this is pretty crazy, he was um, my head preceptor at one of my rotations when I was in my undergrad. So he ended up going the same route where it was athletic trainer to Logan University to become a chiropractor. Um, so when I had gotten here, I had a little bit of, um, you know, him kind of nudging me in that direction as well. So yeah, that was, um, kind of the turning point for me, uh, especially with Logan and having a, um, someone that I already knew here, um, that could kind of help continue to push me along. Speaking of Logan, Logan Benjamin is one of your classmates, right? Yes. Do you want to talk about kind of your friendship with him and the past kind of year, year and a half of how things have changed, not only with Logan, but um, maybe thought processes from starting school till kind of where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. So um, to stem off what we were just talking about, again, I came into this very one-minded or with blinders on. So I thought, you know, DNS, McKenzie were the way to go. Um, MPI was king with adjusting and assessing. Um, I could do a lot with my hands. Um, you know, I had the athletic training background, so orthopedic tests, I was just going to crush. So I just had, you know, all of this context in my mind, like this is the route and this is how I'm going to do things and everybody else is wrong. Um, and then, like you said, um, I met a student named Logan Benjamin who had already been introduced to the clinical athlete group, uh, knew a little bit about level up and, um, had his CSCS and we quickly became friends, uh, just because we were both driven to be good at school and we wanted to be the best we could. And he challenged me a lot. Um, and it wasn't negative. Um, like we didn't have backlash. We didn't really despise each other. It was just one of those you know, he kind of looked at me and said, I think there's more to this than you think. And he just kind of started throwing some resources my way. So that was when I first got introduced to clinical athlete. Um, I got introduced to the level up group and I started listening to these things. And it really did open my eyes and change my perspective on how this profession could actually um, work in the direction that I think I should actually be heading. So um, it took a little while. Um, it was probably through the first trimester, I was still pretty bullheaded. And then like second to third trimester um, in my first year, I started getting more involved with clinical athlete um, and level up in those groups. And I completely had a 180 in my thinking and how I saw things. Um, and it was, uh, it was pretty crazy, uh, especially looking back now because of how like strong suited I was in this idea of, you know, things like DNS and McKenzie and how, um, I thought the adjustment was pretty powerful. How, so that, I mean, to, to have your, um, beliefs challenged like that is hard. So clearly you were able to take that in and accept it. And it's this whole thing we say when faced with new evidence, you know, we uh, reserve the right to change our minds, but a lot of people don't decide not to do that. They, they feel that cognitive dissonance and they say, Ooh, that's uncomfortable. And then, so they, then they make up why they shouldn't address the new thing that is being put in front of their face. So was it hard? Number one, first question, was it hard for you to be open to that? And then number two, um, can you give, you don't have to be concrete examples, but what would, what would the mindset have shifted towards things like McKenzie or DNS or Motion Palpation Institute? And not those things specifically, but just these, this system-based thinking to what it is now 
if you could describe it in any way. Yeah. So initially when he had kind of thrown these things at me, I mean, it was hard. I mean, um, for a little while I was pretty upset because I thought, you know, he's just throwing research at me. All he cares about is the research and things like that. So, I mean, I had that mindset initially, but at the same time, you know, he was really the only person that I knew in my try and I knew and he was, you know, intelligent and, um, I felt like he knew what he was talking about. So I gave it a chance and then he started introducing me to other people like Geronimo, who, um, is just very fluent in research. And I started joining some of these groups and getting more involved. And, you know, they were talking more and more about how maybe these systems that are in place in chiropractic per se, don't necessarily work as well or to the same magnitude as we think. And I didn't really understand that. So because to begin with, I didn't fully understand how they actually worked. It was more of a, I knew what I was told and I trusted the people that had told me that. So, you know, for me, if I wanted to have a conversation with those people, I felt like I had to have a better understanding of what they were actually talking about. So for me personally, you know, reading the research and getting more involved in podcasts and things like that, you know, to me, I felt it was something that I had to do if I was going to be able to have conversations with these people. Um, and there's still a lot of things, you know, that I get dragged into topic wise or with conversations where, you know, I currently have an opinion, but it's not based off of anything like concrete with evidence or anything that I've read. It's more of just an opinion or feeling. So I've tried to get better at not just like blurting out how I feel, but actually going back and you know, reading things, critiquing what I know versus what's been, you know, written and research and things like that. And, you know, trying to be more of a critical thinker. I know people like Jared Hall talk about it all the time, you know, trying to question things and trying to not just jump the gun and answer off emotion. Um, because I did that for a, a long time and, um, I just didn't feel like it was getting me anywhere. Um, it wasn't productive enough. And, um, I just felt like I was being, I was holding myself back by just functioning off pure emotion. So. I know that you've been to some individuals pretty explicit about your frustrations with school and the chiropractic profession as a whole. Do you want to dive into some of those frustrations you have? And then maybe after that, follow it with kind of introducing the FTCA and some of the positive trajectory as well? Yeah. So the biggest issue so far that I've had with schooling and everything is just how hellbent we are on the tradition of chiropractic and how we're so scared to move away from how we were brought up or what we were founded on. Um, a quote that I listened to in a podcast that really resonated with me was, um, they said, tradition is a fire that should be taken forward, not a worshiping of the ashes that are left behind. And in my mind, you know, I think we should be grateful for the people that helped get our profession started like DD and them. I mean, without them, we wouldn't have a profession, but at the same time, I feel like there's a point where you have to embrace what they brought, but know that it no longer fits the mold of what current evidence says and how healthcare is shifting. Um, so as in chiropractic, we're very fragile because we're seen as this one modality approach like SMT, which they don't even use that. So I should say an adjustment, um, is like King, like that is what we base everything off of. And the problem is it's all theatrics and it's all artistic and it's all, you know, it's like fireworks. Um, we had class today and they were showing um, an adjustment for upper cervicals and it was just all theatrics. And it was like, Ooh, ah, you know, just the wow of this, um, I guess, approach. But it's like, if you go and actually look at the evidence and look at what the research is telling us, like th there is some benefit to having a manipulation, but 
the way that it's perpetuated and brought about in class is completely inaccurate. Um, so again, we, we want to claim to be evidence-based, but we solely function on like vitalistic construct in philosophy. And to say that you are using the best evidence that there is, but completely function off of philosophy and anecdote, I mean, there's a huge gap there. Um, and kind of what Quinn was saying earlier, you know, using cognitive dissonance, there's a huge cognitive dissonance there. Um, I had a professor throw an article at us um, trying to support his idea of, again, subluxations and you know, how important it is to address these things. And when I looked at the article, because I was curious, it was a non-peer-reviewed, essentially like opinion paper. And when you look at the information in it, it never even came out and said anything about subluxations. So, you know, a lot of our students don't understand the research and I'm still learning. So I'm not going to sit here and act like, you know, I'm a, a research guru, but you know, one, they don't feel comfortable reading it. And two, they don't know how to interpret it. So when a higher up comes to you and says these things, naturally it's to believe them. It's like, Oh, well, you know, they have all this experience and on top of it, there's research to support it. And I hear it a lot in my classes. It's, you know, if it's published, it has to be true. But my problem with that is, as we know, that there's a lot of journals and there's a lot of articles that even though they're published, doesn't mean that it's high quality, uh, doesn't mean that it's the best research, which it does make it difficult. Um, so, yeah, there's everything education wise so far that I have seen has been surrounded around um, this idea that we can find something with our hands and we can treat it with an adjustment. Um, even now in my second year where we're starting to get more into application of what we learned in try one. Um, so learning, you know, MSK conditions and things like that. It's all just based on these old school narratives and these old beliefs. Um, that again, I just, I, there's, there's a lot of research that says that it's just not true anymore. Um, and it, it's hard. I mean, there's, there's just a lot that you could pick apart. There's a lot that you could go through. And I know that you could probably say the same about a lot of other programs. So, you know, to say that it's only chiropractic probably isn't fair, but you know, from my perspective of what I've seen and how I see some of the older students who try and perpetuate these things, um, currently that's that's where the schooling is at. Are the professors open to maybe not change because that's a strong word, but even just having the conversation in your in your experience so far? So some of them are, um, and for me, it it's challenging because again, you know, I'm still trying to grasp a lot of this research, and I have you know I have to remind myself that I haven't really been reading and like pursuing these things very long, so a lot of the stances that these professors make, I don't necessarily understand a hundred percent. So like before I challenge things or actually like question them, I, I try and get a better understanding of what they're saying. Um, in some of our classes, it is a little easier to question or at least try and have a discussion on why they feel that way. Um, more so in my, um, neuromuscular class, um, where we are learning more about, um, MSK conditions and application. Um, that professor does seem to have a little bit more of the evidence based background. Um, it's still more old school, but she is more open to having a discussion about, uh, current research and things like that. Um, whether or not, like you said, she changes her mind or her viewpoint changes at all. Um, she at least has the dialogue. Um, in our adjusting classes, they have said numerous times and come out in class and said that people who focus more on the evidence and try and essentially throw evidence-based practice in our face, don't know what they're talking about. Um, I've heard that numerous times, um, that my experience is more important than what you read in an article 
and you can't tell me otherwise. Um, so a lot of our adjusting classes, I don't go to the professor. I challenge more of the student body because to me, I think it's easier to get the students to start questioning things and to try and challenge their own beliefs than it is somebody who is in their 80s who's been practicing chiropractic their entire life and was brought up on this old school mentality. And now it's essentially their identity. Um, they can't even really correlate to how healthcare is today and how things are moving in a different direction. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, there's another gap between some of the professors and how we can have some of those conversations. Um, now, I will say there are a few uh, professors at Logan who um, are more evidence-based and are progressing with um, how evidence is kind of moving forward. And, um, you know, they do their best to try and help change the culture at the school. But, you know, it's five of them to however many other professors there are. So they try and just promote as much as they can and give students opportunities to join in on maybe like case study calls in the morning, journal clubs, things like that, and open the door to the possibility of learning and growing and changing your mindset um, in your own way instead of, you know, shoving stuff down their throat and trying to push this change on everybody. Hey guys, Quinn Hennick here. Here's a brain break from the great conversation with student forum member Derek Bark. Don't forget to be on the lookout for upcoming clinical athlete journal clubs. They are free for anybody to attend and a great opportunity to practice your research reading brain gains. Follow us on the clinical athlete social medias and head on over to the website clinicalathlete.com and become a free community member as well. And you'll get all of the up-to-date info on what we're doing in the realms of athlete health and performance. And now, back to the show. Could you go into the FTCA and then you had just given a presentation to them, right? Yeah, so um, so we're not all negative, I guess, about school. There, there is some positivity here. So there's a group on campus called uh, FTCA. It's uh, Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. And um, I believe most college campuses have it. It is student run. So what they promote and how they promote it is completely up to that like student body. Um, but there is also a larger group of doctors and students um, that is a pretty big organization for um, chiropractors and being more evidence-based. So at this point, they're kind of like the front runners for um, trying to put evidence out there um, and trying to be more, like they say, forward thinking. Um, but again, there's still some issues in that regard um, as far as I'm concerned. But for our, our school, what's nice about it is um, every weekend, or not every weekend, every Friday, um, we hold uh, Zoom calls and essentially they're presentations that we decide either us as um, members are going to give or we have speakers come in and give talks. And um, I'm one of the members and then Logan Benjamin, um, my friend here, uh, he's currently the president of the group. Um, he had joined it a trimester earlier, so um, he's kind of been in a little bit longer than I have. Uh, but our goal was to start um, implementing more of the uh, current research and really start to kind of challenge the status quo of the school. Um, you know, not call people out or, you know, be negative, but just start to get people to question things. So, um, you know, Logan gave a talk at the beginning of the trimester on a lot of like the myths surrounding chiropractic. Um, because one of them being, you know, they show this graph all the time of, you know, MD students compared to chiropractic students and the hours that go into school and how, you know, well, we're not that far off from medical students. And, you know, almost like trying to make this argument that, you know, we're just as, you know, either good of doctors or we have just as much education as them. But then you look at the residencies and all these other things and it's like, it's just not a realistic argument. Like it's something that needs to be addressed and told like, MDs have their specialties. We have our specialties. Like there's nothing wrong with those groups. It's just, you have to understand that 
they have a different process than we have. Um, and then there were some other um, kind of myths that he had gone over in that as well. And then my talk that I did was actually on the chiropractic adjustment and its effects. Um, we have had some students in the past give a talk and it challenged some of the beliefs. So, you know, around things like subluxation and that we don't really move bones in and out of place and that maybe we're not really aligning the spine, things like that. But I took it a step further and I even challenged a lot of the beliefs that these former students had had. So um, I spent a ton of time reading research. I think I ended up with like 37 references in this presentation just because I was like, this is a huge topic. I have to have like everything in line. Um, I had talked to Geronimo. I had talked to some other uh, chiropractic students and people who are now actually practicing DCs. And um, when I gave my presentation, I essentially came at it in regards to, you know, adjusting isn't all that we think it is. Um, an issue that I see with the term even adjustment is the fact that we continue to drive a wedge between us and other healthcare professionals that use the term manipulation. Something that sounds stupid maybe on the outside looking in, but again, it's this idea that what we do somehow provides a different outcome than what somebody else does when a lot of the literature says it's the exact same. So it was comparing, you know, this idea of specificity and generic um, approaches to manipulation and how things really aren't any better than the other, um, comparing SMT to other forms of treatment um, and things like that. So it was really challenging the student body to look at what we do with adjusting and not necessarily to change their mind or, you know, upset anybody, but it was, you know, there's a whole other side to the story than what everybody has been exposed to. And to me, I thought it was important to address those things and get people questioning and, you know, trying to critically think about, you know, okay, am I being told appropriate information in class or is there more to this than I think there is? And that was kind of, you know, my hope with that presentation. Um, was to challenge some of the biases that we might have and some of the beliefs that we have um, and see if anybody... Pushback? Did you get any pushback <laughs> from that with the students? I got, I got one that had reached out to me. Um, and I don't know if it was really pushback, um, but I could tell that they weren't necessarily too happy. But again, you know, through text message, it's hard to look into it. Um, but it was one of those questions of, you know, if you don't believe in spinal manipulation, then why are you even a chiropractor? Like that was the question. And, you know, at first I was pretty upset about it because in my mind, I'm like, well, you didn't even watch the presentation because that wasn't like my goal at all. Um, but then I had talked to some people and I thought, you know, again, you know, maybe I needed to self-reflect and look back at my presentation and made sure that I was crystal clear in my stance in my viewpoint. Um, other than that, I really didn't hear from anybody. I had a couple students who wanted um, to talk a little bit more about it um, because they had some questions um, and it wasn't in a negative. It's just they are still trying to figure out uh, what they want to do uh, with chiropractic and how they see their future. Um, and then other people, I think it was kind of an uncomfortable conversation to have um, because I think a lot of people are opposed to change or are opposed to like stepping out of their comfort zone to maybe challenge the authority of the school. Um, and again, not in a negative way, but just trying to look at things a little bit more critically um, and understand that, you know, everything we learn in school is not the end all be all, you know, currently their job is to get us to pass exams and boards and make sure that nobody's failing out of school not so much to see um, how good of doctors we're going to be. Um, you know, that doesn't necessarily help them, maybe a little bit, but it's more of, you know, they're trying to get us to do well on boards and pass the exams so other people see, oh, I mean, these people are coming out looking really good. Um, but to me, you know, if we're going to be the best clinicians that we can be, 
again, we have to think critically and we have to question the things that we're learning. Um, and if they tell us something that is completely accurate and we are reading things that completely support what they're saying and it seems to make sense, and I think, you know, absolutely, you know, continue to um, take those things at face value and appreciate them. But there's other things that we talk about a lot that, I mean, realistically, if you just stop and think about it, it doesn't even make sense. But people don't want to question it because, again, it's, well, he's an authority figure. I came here to learn from these people. You know, I've, I don't have any experience. I've never done this. So who am I to to question them is essentially um, a lot of the the understanding and the feelings that I get from students. I can agree with that from being in PT school, that sentiment, especially a lot of people coming straight out from undergrad because it's rare to be in a class of 200 plus students in an undergrad auditorium and to like raise your hand and question a professor and then to go straight into PT school or Cairo school, which is normally bigger cohorts, like to be the student to like call out a professor to like raise a question that may go against their thought process. Like that when I, I mean, it makes students in my cohort vis viscerally uncomfortable um, when that happens. And I can imagine the same thing with yours, but it's, it's not the norm to accept for that to be an accepted thing because it's still very much like I'm the professor and these are the students and mm -hmm. there's a lot of disconnect, I think, but you're about halfway done. Um, you're about a year and a half in what do you have specific goals for the rest of your time in school? And then leaving as you graduate, do you have any specific place you want to go or go continue in academia? What are your thoughts post-graduation? So as far as uh, continuing through school, I mean, the route that I'm currently taking is something that I want to continue to pursue. Um, you know, f at least for me and where I feel like I'm headed, it's the best route that I can take. Um, having better understanding of evidence and being a part of a lot of these groups and having tough conversations and, you know, being challenged and, you know, it's okay to be wrong, but understanding, you know, where am I wrong? Why am I wrong? And then learning from those things and then continuing to try and perpetuate a new thought process throughout school. Um, you know, I want to continue to try and push the needle forward and, you know, in my mind, it doesn't stop with my class. You know, a lot of these young kids coming in um, are being influenced either by a chiropractor that they know or it seems to be in the family. And, you know, I think that's an issue as well is that it's so easy to get into chiropractic school. You can have any kind of a background and get in. So, you know, a lot of these kids, again, are coming in off of, you know, feeling and this old school chiropractic connection that they have. And I, I hear it all the time where it's, you know, well, I saw a chiropractor and I got adjusted and it, you know, fixed everything. So now I'm here to do the same thing. Or, you know, I worked for a chiropractor and he kind of helped me get into this. So, you know, there's a lot of people who have an emotional attachment to what old school chiropractic is or traditional chiropractic and it's extremely challenging for them to kind of look at it in any other lens. So for me to try and continue to, you know, ask the hard questions, get people thinking is something that I want to continue to do throughout my schooling. Um, and especially once I get into clinic and I can actually, you know, start to implement some of the things that I've learned and, um, you know, some of my interviewing skills and things like that. And, you know, again, continue to have these tough conversations, especially in clinic. Um, and then as far as graduation, um, my plan currently is to actually move back home to Ohio. Um, the office that I used to work at, um, I've been in discussions with him. I'm hoping to actually buy his practice and take it over. That's currently my plan. Um, the hard part with that is initially when I had thought about that process, it was more of a, I was going to do what he did. And now I've started to shift my mindset and don't necessarily agree with a lot of the stuff that he does. So trying to navigate 
you know, seeing his former patients and bringing in a new model and a new mindset, um, you know, I've thought a lot about and how that may be pretty challenging, especially since he's been in that area and doing this for a very long time. Um, so, you know, there's, there's still a lot of conversations I have to have with myself on that choice, um, to make sure it's the best option. But ultimately my goal is to own my own practice. Um, I don't want to be an associate. I don't want to work for somebody else. Um, especially with how I see myself wanting to practice and how I want to, um, begin to perpetuate like my understanding of what chiropractic can be and what it should be. Um, and then eventually I'd like to build some kind of an integrative model, um, whether it's, you know, out of my own office or just having a really good connection with other healthcare professionals and try and get, you know, a middle ground and a trusting that, you know, chiropractors can be utilized in an integrative setting and that we do have a lot to offer um, especially when it comes to um, spine care and, you know, low back pain and things like that. So um, that's kind of what I want to focus my attention more at this point. Sounds great, man. Last question for someone who is a first year DC student or someone who's an undergrad considering chiropractic school, what would your recommendations and suggestions suggestions be to them? Well, for one would be to start listening to the clinical athlete group and level up for sure. I mean, um, I, I know we're obviously on clinical athlete, but you know, for me, it was, it was a huge opportunity, um, because there was just so much that I felt like I could connect with. Um, you know, you've had students on in the past, you've had, you know, people who've struggled in the past. There was just a lot of things that for me personally, I felt like I could grasp and hold on to. Um, and then the other aspect was there was a lot of motivation um, around it as well. I know with Level Up, Zach gets all fired up. And to me personally, you know, I, I connect with those things. Like I, you know, I'm, I can be aggressive, but, you know, it, it's one of those things where it's just you know, when the going gets tough, the tough gets going. Like if you want things, you just kind of have to figure it out. Um, but for students who may be uncomfortable with some of those things, um, you know, to me, I think you just kind of have to start dabbling in things. Um, if you don't feel comfortable getting started on your own, reach out to people who have been doing this longer than you and who you do trust. Um, I know that I've started to gravitate and um, I have a current mentor um, who uh, is TJ Williamson, who Chris, I know I've um, introduced to you recently. Uh, he was a former uh, chiropractor and I've, you know, really gravitated towards him and trying to get a better understanding of things. Um, you know, joining these groups and just starting to have conversations. Um, and even if you're not comfortable with having the conversations, just starting to get involved in at least read what these people have to say, you know, go to journal clubs and just listen and start to get a feel for, you know, different sides of the argument, especially if you do come from a more traditional background. Um, you know, for me personally, I had to really dig deep and, you know, challenge my own biases. But I think if you are going to grow in this profession and you want to make the most out of your time, not only in school, but out of the chiropractic profession, you know, those are the things you kind of have to do. Um, so. Crushed it, man. For people who want to talk to you more or just find out more about you, where's the best place to contact you? So I'm on Instagram. Uh, I think it's dbark2408. I suck at remembering like my actual Where'd the titles. numbers come from. Uh, so those were actually my old hockey numbers. Um, 24 was my first number. And then eight was my uh, second number. Um, and eight was kind of a family number because my dad played and he was number eight. Um, and then my little brother played and he was number eight. And then I was number eight. So it just kind of all came through. So, Yeah. Nailed it. All right. Instagram killed it. Sweet. Thanks, man. 
This was yeah. awesome. Thank you guys. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, no, this is it's a tough conversation to have and we appreciate your openness and willingness to have it. And I think it's going to be really helpful for, for a lot of people. I hope so. I mean, I've learned a lot and, you know, I think a lot of you guys who have taken this group and your professions further, I mean, you've had to have these tough conversations and you've challenged a lot of people. I mean, you guys have challenged me a lot and I think it's helped me a lot, you know? So I think, we're all headed in the right direction, I hope. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I think there's a lot of positives there to, to take from all this. Good. Thanks so much, Derek. Yes. Thanks, thank man. you guys again. And uh, Chris, thanks for leading the convo. And thanks to the six sure. listeners, as always. <laughs> Wasn't it seven at one point? No. Well, that's no, never been seven. Maybe like, it might like teeter, like, oop. Boop, seven, and then somebody drops off the back end back to six. There's just right. that. Yeah, we just kind of keep the regression it. to the mean. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It's a bummer. <laughs> Derek, are you one of the six listeners? Because right now we actually might only have five then, if that's the case. I'll have to tell you that, yeah, I am no, definitely one of the listeners. There you go. <laughs> well, I'm a listener, so does that make oh, shit. four? Potentially. <laughs> <laughs> wow. This is getting worse and worse. The only people that listen are people within clinical athletes. On the, sh- on the damn show, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, guys, thanks so much. This was great. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll see you next time. We'd like to thank Derek Bark for being on the show. You can check out the show notes for contact info of everyone in today's conversation. And thank you to our all-star Clinical Athlete Forum intern and student ambassador, Chris Hewen, for leading this student series. And thank you, the Clinical Athlete community, all six of you, for joining us on this journey of knowledge and improved practice in both the gym and clinic. If you want to dive even deeper into this community, you can check out all that the Clinical Athlete Forum has to offer which includes our Clinical Athlete Academy courses, amazing discussions and networking with professional clinicians and coaches as well as students, and just our overall hub of knowledge in regards to athlete health and performance. Thanks, everyone, and talk to you soon.